Let us pray. Silence in us any voice but your own gracious God. And speak the truth and the power of your gospel for Christ's sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew, the first 12 verses of the fifth chapter. These are familiar words to us, often called the Beatitudes. So as we hear them, I would invite us to hear them as if for the first time, to listen for something new, to see how the Spirit is speaking to us as we encounter God's word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My spouse's family is from Georgia. Our son lives in New England. I am facing an existential crisis about the outcome of next Sunday's Super Bowl, but there is no crisis about next Sunday morning when we will participate for the 11th year in the Super Bowl of Caring, that's S-O-U-P-E-R, Bowl of Caring, a youth-led effort that supports hunger programs, including our own. So as you've heard, bring non-perishable food items as you can, and as you are able, be prepared to offer a financial gift as well. And next Sunday in this hour, we'll also feature an original adaptation, an awesome one, I might add, written by our youth of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Plan on being present and invite people to join us for what will be a great, great morning of worship and celebration. In that Super Bowl spirit, I'm calling an audible this morning. And I beg your forgiveness for what is as close to an improvisational decision as I have recently made. I plan to do two things this morning, or one thing with kind of two parts to it. I had planned to discuss the nature of the Bible, its authority, its inspiration, how it works in our lives. 
I would have used the lens of the Confession of 1967, whose language 50 years ago about the Bible was instructive and provocative and extremely controversial. In fact, we even included a section of the Confession in this morning's bulletin, and I had planned to walk us through those paragraphs. Take the bulletin home read anyway. There's no football on this afternoon. You'll be edified by spending a couple of minutes with the Bible section of the Confession of 1967. Then, I had planned to take that understanding and apply it to these iconic words we have encountered this morning from Psalm 15 and Micah 6 and Matthew 5, and how those words, their inspiration, their authority, provide a roadmap for us today. Now that second part will still happen. It will happen in a different way. The first part won't, and that's where the audible comes in. Because I want to tell you about a holy day. This past Thursday. Now I believe that every day is a gift from God, therefore every day is a holy day. So this day had its holiness come to me in a particular way. It wasn't a perfect day, but it was also not a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day either. It was a holy day. And I mean to tell you about it not because it is autobiographical. That would be a little more self-indulgent than I care to be. You had holy days as well on Thursday. Gifts from God, to be sure. Days filled with holiness. So I hope this day is representative and provocative and aspirational. I also want you to know that wherever I go, whatever meeting I attend, whatever gathering to which I'm invited, I feel that I'm taking all of you with me. Your commitments, your vision, your faith, it is our common ministry, our shared ministry. Just as I hope that wherever you are, church or not, work, volunteering, playing with your family, you bring your faith with you, maybe even the life of this faith community. So here goes, last Thursday. It began early with a breakfast at the Brighton Board of Education for interfaith religious leaders. That in and of itself mattered this past week, did it not? Christians and Jews and Muslims gathering together. Our topic was the Brighton High School Mosaic Club. It's a student organization that focuses on diversity, racial, gender, orientation, identity, religious, political diversity. It was an inspiring morning. If our youth can do it, why can't we? But it also reminded us of the challenges we face when deeply held convictions bump into the quest for inclusion. It left that meeting hopeful and thankful. Then it was to the office for some emails. Actually, a lot of emails, but that's okay. And some other stuff. There was proofreading and personnel and finances, stewardship. Yes, there was stewardship. Not very subtle reminder, stewardship. And there was strategic planning as well. 
John Calvin once wrote that administration is itself a ministry. And I try to remember that. I try to manifest that. Then our Thursday Voices gathering, where we held a very good conversation around an essay by the acclaimed black church leader Howard Thurman. I'll post a link to that essay somewhere. It's worth tracking down. Thurman's focus was on the sound of the genuine and how we, each of us, listen for the call of the authentic in our life's journey. Thurman encouraged us to get still enough to hear the rumbling of the sound of the genuine in you. Get still enough to hear the rumbling of the sound of the genuine in you. Then he included a poem by Catherine Coblenz. Sing your own song, said the river. Sing, sing your own song. Out of yesterday, song comes. It goes into tomorrow. Sing your own song. With your life, fashion, beauty. This too is the song. Riches will pass in power, but beauty remains. Sing your own song. All that is worth doing, do well, the river said. Sing, sing your own song. Sing well, the river said. Sing your own song well. And all the rest of the day, and to this moment, those words have haunted me. What would it look like for me or for you or all of us to fashion beauty, to sing our own song well? Following was a conversation about a neighboring church in our presbytery. Its profile is very different from ours. But they're asking the same questions we are. The large-scale questions about the future of religion in America and the more immediate, granular questions about finances and membership and building and mission and how we serve in the city. It's our conversation because we are connected to them, and it's our conversation because these are the questions we are asking here. The evolution is happening. It's happening fast. There is no script or handbook. How do we respond? Then a discussion about public education reform in our city. It's a long-time commitment of this congregation. It's taking a particular and energized focus these days. Much of that meeting was about tactics and strategy. But it was undergirded by all these deeper issues again, the future of the city, race, and poverty and equity, how committed citizens can make a difference, how we bring our faith perspective to all of this. And like that earlier conversation about the shifting religious landscape, this one was energizing and rigorous, anything but linear. It calls forth our passion and the best of our thinking and our commitment. Then there were more emails. Other things were happening in the church as well. The education building was being outfitted with Wi-Fi. That's a great development. 
In the morning, we offered food to some 30 neighbors in our food cupboard. Many of you volunteer in that program or in dining room ministry. Bell choirs rehearsed, meetings were planned, letters were sent. The bulletin was photocopied. At six o'clock or so, about 40 of us gathered for the final discussion session of Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, Between the World and Me. We joined with members of the Gates Presbyterian Church and the Laurelton Presbyterian Church and others. All three sessions were good, sometimes difficult. As the Coates book invites us to look deeply at racism in America, its legacy and its implications now. On the page and in the room, there was much heartbreak and outrage and fear. There were no answers, let alone easy answers. There is much more conversation to happen, conversation that I hope leads to action in some form or another, but I was gratified in that moment by our willingness to engage, to come together, and to acknowledge, for those of us who Coates identifies, believe ourselves to be white, our participation and complicity in what has been, and our ability to change direction on what may be. From that discussion, many of us joined hundreds more in this space for a simply phenomenal evening of music in conjunction with RIT's Martin Luther King Jr. celebration. The Third Church Chancel Choir hit a musical home run, to be sure, as did our guest soloist. The highlight of the evening was the presence of the Fisk University Jubilee Singers. It'll be left for another time to consider the sheer musicality of their performance, but for this morning, it's good to note that they sang exquisite arrangement after exquisite arrangement of spirituals, and did so with a stunning demonstration of ensembleness, which is not a word, but you get my point. The first section of their program was interspersed with slave narrations, which to me at least were heartbreaking, but also strangely and surprisingly hopeful. Testimony to human perseverance and resilience in the face of evil. But even then, it was hard not to be shaken by this juxtaposition of beautiful music and such beautiful lives with the shameful history and legacy of slavery brought to that very moment by a book discussion from just moments before. Then some more emails, and then home, a caffeine-free Diet Coke at the end of the day and off to bed. One day, one holy day, for me and for all of us, I hope, big issues and everyday ones, Followed by Friday, another holy day for me and for you and for all of us, and, and through it all, the persistent questions of how we live our lives, how we exhibit our values, how we live out our faith, how we make sense and find meaning. Now by now, in this 
point in the sermon, had the original plan unfolded, I would have already established how we are formed by Scripture and guided by it and prided by it. I would have made the case that theories of biblical inspiration, while important, are much less important than than what we do with these words. That opening a Bible and taking it seriously is so much more important than arguing about it. So let's do that just for a moment. Psalm 15. O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? What are our ethical demands as we seek life with God? And Micah 6. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? What does justice and kindness and humility look like as you place your day, any day, alongside that barometer of faithfulness? What does justice and kindness and humility look like as we read the paper or scroll through the news on our phones? or have conversations with our neighbors or our children. How does Micah 6 matter, for example, as we think about immigration? It does, I believe. So the question is not whether, but yes and how, and what will we do about it? And the Beatitudes. Look what brings about blessing. As we live our days, day by day, what will it look like for you and me to hunger and thirst for righteousness? To truly hunger and thirst for righteousness? What will mercy look like? What will peacemaking look like? That's just one day, your day, my day, our day. And when your caffeine-free Diet Coke is finished at the end of the day and you lay your head on the pillow and begin to close your eyes, when you take a look at the hours just past, you realize how many opportunities you've been given. And you realize that issues aren't issues, but people. You realize that politics matters as an arena for us to live out our faith. You realize that that faith is not a collection of theoretical concepts, but a series of invitations to make a difference to those who grieve and mourn, to those who are excluded, to those who simply need the experience of an encounter with the living word in one form or another, that that faith is the air that we breathe, the space we inhabit, the lives we intersect, the words we speak, the actions we take, not just this hour, this worship hour, but every hour of every day. And when we look for guidance, when we seek a roadmap, there the Bible is, waiting for us, made real to us, and and powerful and true to us, by the Holy Spirit. 
one day, any day, holy perhaps, profane also perhaps, a gift to be sure, and a series of opportunities to live our faith, to fashion beauty, to sing our song well, to live on God's holy hill, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly, to be blessed and to be a blessing for such a time as this, even this day, a day that the Lord has made. Amen.